Our scripture today comes from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. I'm going to begin on verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has, I'm sorry, let me go past that. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've been preaching through a message series entitled, When the Saints, a collection of prayers. And as we're preaching through it, we're recognizing that the Roman Catholic Church gave the Protestant Church a great gift in our saints. We have a different way of understanding who saints are and what they mean to us than the Catholic Church. But, but one place where we can find common ground is that they led a life that was exemplary, a life in Christ that is worth modeling. And so as we, as we consider that and, and hear their prayers, we, we learn a little bit about what's important in our faith and, and who we're called to be. Now, there, I've, I've heard some concern because Protestants sometimes uh, have this concern, and that is, you know, are we really supposed to pray somebody else's prayer? Fair question. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, that was Jesus' prayer, and we pray that. So I think it's, it's okay to repeat somebody else's prayer. I also think it's fair to say that Jesus didn't give us that prayer so that we would um, repeat it word for word. Jesus gave us that prayer so we would repeat the form of it. Not exactly the verbatim of it. The verbatim's okay, though. It's all right to pray it. Just as it is all right to pray these prayers that the saints have given us because they give us a model for understanding how to pray, but also what to pray. And so for the last several weeks, we've prayed through those saints. Actually, the next two after today, today we're going to do a saint, but the next two after today are not Catholic saints, but their prayers come from the Protestant church instead, and they are good prayers to model our lives after. So today we're going to consider St. Gregory the Great. You have probably never heard of him. Probably never prayed his prayer either, but it's a good one, and he was a good one. It's worth our consideration. Um, before we get there, though, uh, not too long ago, it, it, she uh, actually died in, in uh, the last two decades, a woman by the name of Phyllis Tickle. That's just a fun name to say. 
Phyllis Tickle, she was a, a, a professor, a doctor. Um, I don't know what discipline. Um, she wasn't a, a theologian per se, per se, but she wrote a lot about spirituality. She was the, the uh, president of a university and uh, uh, observed all that was going on, and, 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 and she wrote deeply about spirituality, things that are, are worth our consideration. Maybe she wrote a prayer I need to include next time I do a series like this. Um, but one of the things she wrote, I, I've spoken to before, I, I'm pretty sure, um, I may be wrong, um, I've forgotten, so I'm going to guess you've forgotten, so I'm going to say it again. Um, but she talks about a 500-year rummage sale. You ever been to a rummage sale? Sometimes people are selling stuff, looks like they've been collecting it for 500 years. Well, what she meant was not those of us who go to the sale to buy somebody else's cast-offs, but rather... God saying, it's time to cast off some of the things you think and believe and be reunited with your faith. Maybe it'll sound new, but it's all of old. It's all what I've been talking about all along. And it seems like every 500 years, humanity gets so twisted up that God has to step in and fix it. Phyllis Tickle begins with the birth of Christ, though you could go back before that. If you, if you go back to the time of Abraham in the Old Testament, some of the years that trying to date exactly when people lived in the Old Testament is difficult because years didn't always mean the same thing, and it was more confessional than it was chronological. Um, but, but go back to Abraham, maybe about 2500 B.C., God did a new thing a chosen people. And then, and then from Abraham to Moses and the Exodus, and God did a new thing. And, and, and from the Exodus to uh, King David, and suddenly the people of Israel are ruled by a king, and God does a new thing. And from, and from David to the exile, when Israel was overrun by an army from north, and God began to do a new thing in their life. And then Jesus. And, and, and so when we get into Jesus, we recognize that God is, is changing the way the relationship works because people have twisted up this whole idea of sacrifice in the temple. God's changing the way that the relationship works in order that there be a relationship. And among other things, Jesus ushers that in. We'll talk about the other things as we go on. In 500 AD, there's this collapse of the Roman Empire, at least as they knew it. There'll, be, there'll still be a Holy Roman Emperor until I think like 1801 or something like that. Um, but the empire has a radical change in 500 AD. It, it just happens actually around five to 600. So these are all give or take 100 years. It just happens there's a guy by the name of Gregory who becomes Pope at that time. More on him in a minute. 1000 AD, the Great Schism. It's, the, it's the, the, the collapse between the relationship of the Roman church and the Eastern church. And when I say the Roman church and the Eastern, they weren't that far east. 
right? It was for the distance between Rome and Istanbul, or back then it was called Constantinople. But the Eastern Church that spawns off the, the, um, the Greek, the Greek uh, Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church and the Armenian Orthodox Church, those churches called the Orthodox Churches, there's a spinoff. There's this great divide. God begins to do a new thing in speaking to people in different ways. And then in 1500 A.D., the Reformation, the Protestant Revolution. Protestant simply means people who protested the power and wealth of Rome and the way they were exercising their power and wealth and influence. And people like Martin Luther and, and John Calvin and others of that day. And, and uh, some of you have seen recently a, um, a show called Six, um, uh, King Henry VIII. It's about his six wives. So Henry VIII is right about that time as well, right? And, and he wants to get a divorce, and the Pope says, no, you can't. And he says, that's okay. I got my own church. And he kicks out anybody that wants to stay with the Roman church, and he says, tells everybody, yeah, you know, if you want to live, um, be my priest instead of Rome's priest. Pretty convincing, apparently. And God begins to do a new thing in the Protestant Reformation. And now another 500 years has passed. Is God doing a new thing? It's fair to say that everyone throughout the centuries has thought that right now is the time that God is doing something new and different. I mean, we all have that sense of, of, okay, individual arrogance about ourselves to think that, you know, I'm born, therefore God's doing something special. And you're right, God's doing something special in your life. The question is, is God doing something special and different in all of humanity? Tough question to raise, to weigh, to figure out. But it is 500 years since the last big shakeup. But think of it this way. It doesn't have to be a singular event. I mean, the Protestant Reformation took a couple hundred years and even evolved past that. All of these other things took years and years as they developed and the circumstances of life came to where it was time. I mean, let's go back over the last hundred years or so. Again, remember, this is give or take some time. Let's go back over the last hundred years or so. I mean, our advances in technology have been amazing. We went from can we fly to the moon. <laughs> it's just been amazing how, 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 how technology has, has grown like crazy. We went, we went from, from a calculator to a computer in your hand to wondering if we could get in contact to our, with our neighbor to being able to call our neighbor in Africa. <laughs> but we've also seen human atrocities like the Holocaust, like school shootings, suicide bombings, and other terrorist events. We've seen disease that even in our modern medicine spreads quickly. We've seen Ebola and anthrax and now COVID. We've almost eradicated smallpox, and yet it's still around. And other communicable diseases like that that, that were dormant but seem back again. And there's certainly a fear that something pandemic could once again erupt. And there's those 
social, cultural issues that, that due to the advance of technology, we can know about in the minute, in the moment. There's police brutality, and let me be clear. It's, it's a few who cast a bad light on the hundreds that are good, but it's not right and it's not okay. There's pastoral moral failures, and let me be clear, it's a few that pass, uh, cast a bad light, but it's not okay. We see atrocities in war. We see discrimination live on to the next generation. Something happened at Eureka High School just this past week. That you'd think we'd be past, but we seem dead set on handing off uh, racism to the next generation. We see injustices in our social system, inequity in the spread of wealth, and unchecked mental illness that is rampant in the U.S. at this time. If God is not getting ready to do a new thing, Lord, this would be a good time. Yeah, now. This would be a really good time. It's time, Lord, for you to, to do another 500-year rummage sale, to get rid of our old ways of thinking and, and to help us consider something new, something different, something that maybe we've just forgotten. Have all these advances caused us to focus more on the advances than on you, Lord? Every 500 years, the reminder, not so much the, about a new way of thinking, but, but about God, comes up. It's, it's, it's about a, a renewal of our mind and our hearts to think about God in new ways. Every 500 years, humans get ourselves so twisted up in systems and, and dis, uh, dis, discussions about things that just aren't all that important. And it requires a divine intervention to remind us who God is and then who we are. While I do believe that in Christ, God is doing something new always, Jesus doesn't just redefine God. Jesus redefines the way God desires to relate to his people. Not just the Hebrew people, not just some people, you people. Every 500 years since, there's been a significant event in the church, in our history. And maybe we don't always notice those past events as we do what's going on around us now. But they are shifts that changed who we are and how we worship and what we know to be God, God's presence in our lives and the way we're called to respond to it. So what do we do about it? Well, it begins with prayer, as always. It's always a good way to start. Let's at least get started asking the question with prayer. And, and then um, in the middle of asking the question, let's pray. And then when we come to some sort of enlightenment, let's pray that that enlightenment is correct. And then when we try to live out that enlightenment, let's pray that God is blessing what we're doing. And prayers of the saints are helpful in that. Since Gregory was around during one of those 500-year shifts, he was really around at 600, but like I said, it's give or take 100 years. His prayer is a good one. 
And we don't need to go into all the details of what was going on in 500, 600 AD, but only need to know that it was difficult to be a Christian at that time. Persecution was over, but still, well, church was fighting. We don't know anything about that today, but the church was fighting. And Gregory comes along, and before he became pope, and, and even after, he, he pushed for reform in the ways that people related to God. You've heard of Gregorian chant, maybe? That's him. He didn't necessarily start Gregorian chant, but he promoted it as a way for people to spiritually connect to God. Gregory's prayer that we have in front of us today is about reminding ourselves who God is and what God has done. And then, in light of that prayer, who we are and what we're called to do. If you want to take out that prayer card, and I want to just read through it and, 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 and talk about the movements within that prayer. It begins with praise. It is only right with all the powers of our heart and mind to praise you, Father, and your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it moves from praise to remember what God has done. Not because God needs to be reminded, but because we need to say it and hear ourselves say it. Dear Father, by your wondrous condescension, and con by condescension it means you condescended to go from being God to being human with us in Jesus Christ. Dear Father, by your wondrous condescension of loving kindness toward us, your servants, you gave up your son. Dear Jesus, you paid the debt of Adam for us to the eternal Father by your blood poured forth in loving kindness. You cleared away the darkness of sin by your magnificent and radiant resurrection. You broke the bonds of death and rose from the grave as conqueror. So now we're reminded what God has done. And then it moves to what that might mean for you and me, that God has done these wondrous acts in Jesus Christ. You reconciled heaven and earth. Our life had no hope of eternal happiness before you redeemed us. Your resurrection has washed away our sins, restored our innocence, and brought us joy. How inestimable is the tenderness of your love. And then a request. We pray you, Lord, to preserve your servants in the peaceful enjoyment of this Easter happiness. We ask this through, your, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with God the Father in the unity with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Let's note, when he, when he talks about Easter, he's not talking about the annual celebration. He's talking about the reality that Christ rose from the dead. We are an Easter people, not just once a year. If it were every day, we'd show up in larger masses, but that's a whole other conversation for another time. That's not on the script. He got that one for free. In this prayer, we're reminded that, that we're called to love because God first loved us. And I still think the word love is overused and abused and misunderstood. God's love is not shown to us in a, in a cut-out Valentine heart, though I think it's cute as can be when my children and grandchildren give me those. But God's love is shown in his actions, 
He sends his son to die for our sake. Condescends, meaning the God of the universe came down to be one of us. There was a song a while back, what if God was one of us? Well, he was and is. In Christ's life, we learn love, how to love others by seeking to heal their hurts and and care for their loneliness and struggles and to work to reunite them with the one who loves them unconditionally. And in that activity, we are reconciled to one another. That's what love is. It's what God does. And it is what we're called upon to do as well. Author and and, uh, theologian Richard Rohr once said, for most people in the world, the question is not, is there life on the other side of death? It is rather, is there life on this side of death? As an Easter people, we are called to live eternally starting right now. And that eternal living should bring life to others. But every 500 years, it seems that we get all twisted up. We have concerns that seem to get in the way of our faith and life. Living Word is a part of a denomination called the United Methodist Church. I have mentioned before, it's, it's no mistake that, that spell check won't catch it if you accidentally type untied Methodist Church. And we are untied on the issue of LGBTQ. And I swore I wasn't going to preach on it, and I'm not, at least not in the way you think. While this presenting issue is uh, an issue of a deeper divide within the United Methodist Church, it's not insignificant in our society. What I think it comes down to for all of us, those in the United Methodist Church and those not, those, those in the church in general and those who don't claim faith, uh, those who stay away from people who are different and those who are called to love people who are different, what it comes down to is how are you going to treat people? I believe part of this 500-year shakeup in our faith, of which LGBTQ questions loom large, is the deep need to redefine how in Christ God has reconciled himself to the world. And we are meant to be a reconciling people, calling everyone to Jesus Christ. I believe we need to return to the faith that Christ first proclaimed for us and seek to live it out as he demanded of his followers. But my fear is this, if you are progressive, of a progressive political bent, you just heard me say that we need to have full inclusion of LGBTQ people in the church. And if you are a conservative political bent, you may have just heard me say that we need to get back to the way the Bible tells us to live, especially in light of LGBTQ people. And my fear is that we are taking our culture, our politics, our social and economic presumptions, and overlaying them on the church of God. Remember last week, if you were here, last week I talked about that Exodus 3 story where where God calls to Moses from the burning bush, and Moses says, if you're sending me to the people, who do you say? Who who am I to tell them called me? And and, and God says, tell them Yahweh. Yahweh is a Hebrew word that means I am. Um, which, which can be interpreted, I will be what I will be, meaning you don't get to identify who I am. I do that. I identify who you are, is what God is saying. You don't get to tell me who to be by limiting me to one particular name. 
I'm the one that limits you. I'm the one that calls you. I'm the one that reconciles with you. It's up to me to call you to be my sons and daughters. It's not up to you to identify the church with your political assumptions. The church is Christ's body. The body of Christ is defined by Christ, and not by one follower of Jesus Christ or any group of followers of Jesus Christ or any particular people group. The church of Christ in the world, defined by Christ's commandments, love God, love neighbor, And this love is defined by the outstretched arms of Christ on the cross, dying for our sake. I know that several of you are new to Living Word, and I know some of you are watching that that are wondering about all of this. I'm thrilled that you're here. Hear me say that. I really am. Uh, We have a a strange reality here at Living Word right now, and and this is what it is. over the last year or so, a lot of people have been coming to us, uh, formerly a part of Manchester United Methodist Church. And um, I, I, the way I said it at the last service, I'm going to say it a little different today because somebody in the lobby called me on it uh, after between the services. You'd be surprised people do that. Um, and here's how they said that. Um, they said, we're not leaving Manchester because there's a, a rainbow flag at the church. We're leaving because that flag seems to fly above everything else. That's their concern. But I also know that here in the last month or so, we've had several people come to us from the river, which is the Eureka, formerly Eureka United Methodist Church. And and the Eureka uh, River United Methodist Church is voting tomorrow whether to stay Methodist or to go somewhere presumably more conservative. And and let me say this, Pastor Brian at Manchester is a friend of mine, Pastor Tim and David at at Eureka are friends of mine, but some of you are leaving that church, maybe because they're they're, they're too conservative, maybe you're leaving because uh, you really don't want human sexuality to be an argument in your church, or maybe you're leaving because you just don't want to have an argument in church. I get that, and you're welcome here. Lately, I've come to realize that my friends in ministry, my conservative friends think I'm progressive, my progressive friends think I'm conservative. The reason for this is that I've decided not to be defined by people groups or political or social engineering or a new cultural thought. I've decided to be identified by Jesus Christ, by the love that I see in the outstretched arms of Christ on the cross by his horrible death as people killed God's son, and a blessed Easter as God's love was so strong that even the grave couldn't hold it. The UMC reality is that one day, we're going to have to vote here. It's going to happen. It it may be soon, it may be a, a year down the road or more. I think it comes down to all churches around the world having to take that vote. And here's how it will happen here. This is my promise. The, the leadership board is the elected leadership of this church. There are nine members of the church, plus a, a, a tenth member who is your lay leader. Um, if you wonder who they are, you can go to the website. I think we need to, Beth, we need to update the website to make sure 
the new leaders are on there. <laughs> Just thought of that. Because it changes every year. Three go on and three come off. Um, those nine have been already talking about and praying about this issue and where we are with it. And we haven't come to a decision. We haven't come to a recommendation. When the board does, they'll bring that to you. Everybody will have a chance to have a discussion about it. If you're a member, you'll eventually have a chance to vote on it. Do you know I don't vote on it? I am not a voting member of this church. Neither is Pastor Greg. We don't get a vote. A voice, but no vote. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll bring it to you in the form of a town hall meeting like we had back in October, and we'll have a chance to discuss it. And at some point, we'll have a chance to have a vote. And I think that's a shame. But I don't know how we can avoid it. But until that time, and during that time, and after that time, can we decide to be a church that is defined by God? Defined by God's love. Can we decide to be a church that's defined by the Easter event? Can we decide to be a church that lives out our identity as a people who will boldly proclaim what I read in Scripture earlier? But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. And that man is Jesus. Before I say my final amen, and we move to the offering, I want to pray Gregory's prayer together. And, and as we do, I, in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand to pray that prayer together. I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud with me. And when I'm done, I'll sit down and allow the ushers to come to collect the offering. And as they do, will you reflect on what it means to be a part of a church that is not defined by culture around us, but instead is defined by God's love and seeks to let the culture know no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, God loves them. And there's a cross and a resurrection to reconcile them to God. Would you please stand as you're able and let's pray this prayer together. Please pray with me. It is only right with all the powers of our heart and mind to praise you, Father, and your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Father, by your wondrous condescension of loving kindness toward us, your servants, you gave up your Son. Dear Jesus, you paid the debt of Adam for us to the eternal Father by your blood poured forth in loving kindness. You cleared away the darkness of your sin by your magnificent and radiant resurrection. You broke the bonds of death and rose from the grave as a conqueror. You reconciled heaven and earth. Our life had no hope of eternal happiness before you redeemed us. Your resurrection has washed away our sins, restored our innocence, and brought us joy. How inestimable is the tenderness of your love. We pray you, Lord, to preserve your servants in the peaceful enjoyment of this Easter happiness. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with God the Father in unity with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen and amen.
suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be magnified were the Be magnified. Sing that chorus one more time. 
communion is another way for us to proclaim exactly what I was talking about, that the body of Christ is broken for you, that his blood was poured out for your redemption. Lord God, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on everyone gathered here, and upon this, the bread and the cup, make it become for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, and sent out into a world that needs to know it. In Jesus' name, amen. A few words of instruction as those who are going to serve with me come to their place of service. This isn't my table. This isn't Living Word's table. This is the table of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and everyone is invited to Christ's table. At the direction of the ushers, you'll come by the uh, center aisle to the server on either side. A piece of bread will be broken off and handed to you. You'll take that bread and, and eat that and then step over to the other server who will have the small communion cups. You'll drink the juice from one of those cups, and then uh, you can place the cup in the trash can. When you're done, you can go to one of the kneelers for a moment of uh, prayer, or you can uh, uh, return to your seat in a prayerful manner. If you would prefer, we do have these uh, prepackaged communion sets. If you would like to take one of those, they're at everyone's table. We can just provide that for you. Please come, for all has been prepared. This song is called The Commission. It's actually a song um, that Jesus is, well, the lyrics talk like Jesus is speaking to us. Sorry, I'm not wording that correctly. But I did want to bring that to attention because we are focusing on this song, on what he has done for us and what we are called to do for the world.
God, you don't call us to be perfect, but to move toward it. You don't call us to have all the answers, but to be willing to enter into the questions. Really, God, what you call us to is to go tell the world about you. So, God, may that be our focus. Not some of the distractions that come our way, even if those distractions are important. The ultimate importance is who you are what you've done in your son Jesus Christ and the salvation that you've offered us of ultimate importance is that in Christ you have reconciled yourself to us. So we leave here seeking to reconcile ourselves to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. you fall so far you should be ashamed of yourself so I was ashamed of myself the lies I believed they got some bruises that run deep I let them take a hold of my life I let them take control of my life standing in your presence Lord I can feel you digging all the roots up I feel you healing all my wounds up all I can see is hallelujah. Look what you've done. Look what you've done to me. You spoke your truth into the lies I let my heart believe. Look at me now. Look how you made me new. The enemy did everything that he could do. Oh, but look what you've done. 
just what Jesus has done for you and what he can continue to do in your life. Thank you again. We hope to see you next week.